Why don't we start in a word of prayer? <clears throat> Our God and loving Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here again today to hear about your kingdom, to um, get some instruction, hopefully get some inspiration, a refilling after a, a work week, a school week, a, a week uh, filled with distractions. We, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to refocus and to renew our resolve to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've spoken about the, um, <clears throat> the kingdom of God for the last three weeks, I think. I think this is the fourth uh, on the series. And I was asked to talk about advancing the kingdom of God. And I found that kind of challenging. I, uh, I had a lot going on in my head. I was very thankful that today there is no football. And Jason said I could go ahead and speak for about two to three hours. <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't think I'm capable of doing that. So probably going to be a little bit short today, but that's all right. Uh, we will have communion after the service as well. Um, and I'll, I'll segue into that when I'm done. So the kingdom of God, I want to recap just a little bit. In, um, in Mark's gospel, it's one of the first things recorded that Jesus says. He says, to repent for the kingdom of God is near or has arrived, depending on translations that you look there. Um, that's in Mark 1 and 14, if we want to just read it directly. <clears throat> the first things after his baptism and... Yeah, Jesus comes into Galilee and says, uh, verse 15, This time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And I think that as we go over the subject today, we'll, we'll see why it's called good news, that the kingdom of God is near. Um, we kind of have a hard time in a Western culture conceptualizing kingdoms. Um, so I want to take just a moment to sort of kind of go over that. I in my head think of medieval times myself when I think through like a king. I know there are some modern ones like the King of England, for example, but they still have a parliament or whatever. That's about the extent I care to know about their government, but you know, they're, like, they're still involved. We have our you know, representatives that we have and our senators, and so we're not really used to sort of king or a kingdom. Um, and yet, Jesus mentions the kingdom multiple times throughout the Gospels. I think in Matthew alone, it's over 50 times. And so it's a concept that we do need to grasp. Um, the concept is also evident from Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to kind of go over that where um, we have that kingdom and what it looked like. Jason sort of spoke to this last week too, like what it was intended for in the Garden of Eden. And then in Revelation at the other end of the Bible, you've got sort of a forward-looking, which we've also kind of, I think, been stuck on is a big C church, not necessarily Northgate. I'm just saying Christians in general have often thought of the kingdom as something to come and not necessarily something that's right here right now as well. And so I want to reinforce that today as well. Uh, kingdom in English, you know, going back to our you know, difficulty with the word, means can really refer to a place. So when we think of a kingdom, you'll probably think of where it might be. For example, I said England, right? So the, the UK. Uh, but in Greek and Hebrew, that word is more, um, more of an action word. It means to be ruled. 
like the word dumb is like the state of something. So like boredom, right? Hopefully you're not suffering from boredom yet, the state of being bored. I'm going to try and work so that you don't. Kingdom is like the state of being kinged or ruled. So I think rule kind of helps there in understanding that a little bit better. So if we look back, um, the original intent is that we got to, in Genesis, I'm not going to read there, I'm actually going to go to Psalm 8. It's sort of a uh, poetic recounting of the original um, intent for humanity. Um, We were intended to have dominion with God, to rule with God over creation. And in Psalm 8, he mentions that. It's really, like I said, it's a a poem. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, he praises the Lord and is just amazed that that you would have anything to do with mankind. Um, In verse 5, it says, You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, and all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that's a poetic version of like the intention of, of God's kingdom with humanity, Garden of Eden, pre-sin, having dominion with God. We had a purpose, right? Sin came in and sort of wrecked that. And I know Jason spoke to a little bit last week about how um, God used Israel, the nation, to sort of redeem his kingdom. And they were led by judges and priests. They weren't led by a king until they demanded a king. And their first king was a train wreck. They got Saul, right? So screwed it up again. Kind of a common theme with us. And then if you fast forward and you look forward into like Revelation, you can see again that sort of future state where we have the redeemed creation, the redeemed saints ruling, and it says like he will rule with them forever. And so that is where I think as Christians we've really been focusing too much. And what that can do is sort of build a complacency if you don't dive in a little bit deeper into the subject. You can find yourself just sort of sitting there waiting. You know what I mean? Like I might learn and worship God, but other than that, what purpose am I fulfilling as a Christian? In Ephesians it says you were created specifically for good works that you're predestined to accomplish. And so I think that's the good spark to realize, no, 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 there is something more. There's something now that I should be doing. So Jesus comes. The prophets that we had were saying there is a king coming, and Jesus does come. And in Matthew, we have his birth story. And in all the Gospels, they read the retelling of his life here. And he gives us a perfect example, really, of what we should be doing while we're here. Like I said, he mentions the kingdom over 50 times in Matthew. I think it's over 125 times in the total Gospels where they are quoting Jesus talking about the kingdom. It's really his main theme while he was here. Okay, great story. So what about now? What are we supposed to do with that information, right? Like that's... That's the way I posed it to myself. I'm like, okay, so I kind of got my bearings. I understand, like, from the, looking at the history, I'm looking at how things have gone wrong. We had the big pause between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus arrives. Jesus gives us a perfect example. And then it sort of fast forwards again to, you know, end times, beyond the end times, into an eternity of reign. But what am I supposed to do right now? How do I advance the kingdom? And I know, uh, I think it was the opening 
sermon on this series. Jason talked a little bit about how at the Bible study at my house, we talked about the armor of God. And he um, said most people just walk around with just their helmet on and nothing else and how dangerous that is. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the, the armor of God because we have to understand the playing field for us is that it's spiritual warfare. This isn't something that, like I'm just going to go do things and there won't be opposition. It's really good to understand what does the field look like that I'm operating in and how do I start that? And you start that by gearing up. So if you'll turn, if you have your Bibles or phones, uh, we're going to Ephesians 6. It's funny because when we, um, a couple of us were talking after that study, uh, I guess that was last month now, uh, the first time that I had been um, at a men's retreat, the subject was the armor of God. And my attitude was like, we're going to spend three days on a Sunday school story? Are you kidding me? Um, I regret saying that. I regretted saying that after the half of the first day. I was just blown away with how much more truth was there than I had um, given credence to it. And it was funny because after our study just last month, a friend of mine had said the same thing. He's like, I had the same attitude. I thought, oh, wow, we're talking about this tonight. Like, I already know this story. And little did he know, he got more out of it than he expected. So I'm hoping for the same today. So if you thought, oh boy, we're going to talk about the armor of God, bear with me. Hopefully you get something new. Uh, reading in verse 10, I'll just read through here like what, what it is, and then uh, we'll take a pause We'll hold our finger here and check out something in Matthew, and we'll come back to this. Um, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground... And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we'll pause here. I really kind of wanted to focus on that last one which is the word of God, which is the sword. This doesn't look real sword-shaped, but believe me, it's very sharp. And we want to take a look at that, where Jesus, again, he came and demonstrated the perfect life for us. Let's take a look at Matthew 4, and we can see him do it. Matthew chapter 4, this is after Jesus had fasted for 40 days. Side note, has anyone tried to fast for 40 days? I did. Naomi can attest to it. I'm probably a little cocky about it, too, because I said something like, well, if Jesus could do it, and he's a human, I could do it, right? I made it four days. Yeah, I started to see double at work, and I was like, this isn't safe. <laughs> so uh, a bag of Pringles later, and I, or, <laughs> I gave up. Nonetheless, Jesus is tested out in the wilderness. If you're not familiar with the story, he fasts for 40 days. He's out in the wilderness. Um, Satan comes to tempt him. And every one of these attempts of Satan to get Jesus to trip up in sin, he rebukes with quoted scripture. He comes back at him with the sword 
the Word of God is how he rebukes him. And so that's something that we have to understand that of all the things in that Ephesians chapter 6, there's only one offensive bit, and that's this. It's the Word of God. So if we understand that we're to be equipped with this armor, and if you think about putting it on, I challenge you to do this. Think about putting it on every morning. If you took just the two minutes as you're actually getting dressed to think through the spiritual, what does it mean to put on that breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth or the shoes of the gospel, your shield of faith, your helmet, your sword? Are you going out equipped? I challenged the men in that group last month and uh, my other friend that actually sells all the gear that policemen wear couldn't believe the fact that he felt like he was leaving the house every day without his gun without his sword. He's like, I'm not learning scripture to be equipped to actually take that offensive when it's time, you know, to take that, that moment where I need to defend my faith or I need to fight against the temptation. He's, and he, it was funny because it was like 30 minutes later, he's shaking his head. He's like, I'm still thinking about the fact I'm going out in the world unarmed. Like, how dumb. <laughs> so hopefully you can feel the same way and feel convicted that the only way you're going to go out armed with this is if you, you study this, if you read your Bible and you equip yourselves to handle it. But then how do we fight? One of the things about uh, this, this passage here is that I think a lot of people stop there at verse 17. But the, the verse, make sure I'm, yeah, 18 starts with the word and. And and means we're about to like buckle something else onto what we just read, right? We just went through this entire equipment list of what they are, but that doesn't really tell you what to do, right? The and, okay, and when what? What do I do with it? And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's what we're supposed to do. It sounds, again, we have the graphic, we do. Jason's mentioned how it's an upside-down kingdom. I would think that, at least I do, in my earthly mind, if I look and read through an equipment list of what a warrior should wear, the next thing I would expect is like go out and preach the gospel and take names, right? Go on like a serious offensive maneuver, right? But no, the first thing you're supposed to do with this is then pray. And I think it's really good to take away some of the ambiguity. Um, One of the reasons I find myself as almost a counselor most of the time at work is when there's lots of ambiguity about what I'm supposed to be doing next. If I have employees that are a little confused or they don't have very clear direction and vision as to what they're supposed to be accomplishing, it can get really easy to feel like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And if you have a sense of work ethic, you can feel like useless because you aren't doing anything or you feel disconnected from where that vision is. And I think that that, like when we think about the kingdom of God in this, this current state, because we have it really well documented in the Bible as to how it was in the Garden of Eden, the intended state. We have how it was wrecked. We have how in Revelation it's going to be future perfect again, but we don't have necessarily a lot of clear vision on what does that mean. I would say for my entire adult life, having been a Christian since a kid, I didn't really know what to do with it. You know what I mean? Like I understand these things, but I didn't really understand what it meant to advance the kingdom of God. And so that's something that by his grace and by being connected with um, other believers and studying, I've, I've felt more clear about it. And so we'll kind of get into that as well. 
But first thing I want to really focus on is like, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? That means that we are citizens of heaven and not citizens of earth. We can read that if we go to Philippians. Uh, Philippians 3 and verse 20 is where I'm headed. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So right there, we have uh, very clear, right? There's not a lot of ambiguity here, who we are as Christians. We are citizens of heaven. <clears throat> and Peter even says it a different way. If we go to 1 Peter 2... First Peter, not Second Peter. First uh, Peter two, I'm looking for verse eleven. He's going to use some terms here. He says, "Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires." Foreigners and exiles. So, if you travel to another country, you have to have a passport, right? because you're not from there. And that's the way, as Christians, we should think about our daily walk here on earth. It's like, I'm not from here. I'm, from a, I'm in the heavenly kingdom, and I just have a passport down here. And by thinking that, I think what it really does is it helps us separate ourselves from the world, if you keep that front of mind. If you keep the fact that I'm a citizen of there, then the things down here I shouldn't care so much about. You know, politics. This is unfortunately an election year again, so we're going to hear a lot of that coming up in the next six to nine months, right? It's going to be obnoxious. I don't care what side you're pro or whatever, it's going to be obnoxious. We've all been through this. Seems like it's getting worse in our country. If I'm a citizen of heaven, though, part of the kingdom of God, you should really take a look at every issue that comes at you. And someone says, hey, are you a Democrat? Well, I don't know. What issue would you like to talk about? I'm going to take that issue put it up against the kingdom of God, the word here, and maybe I am today on that specific issue. Maybe I am. Or someone says, hey, are you a Republican? And I'm like, what's the issue? Let's take it up, compare it against the word of God. What does the kingdom say? No, I'm not today. You know, I don't know how those answers are going to go. They should be handled one at a time, issue by issue as they come at you. But putting yourself <clears throat> front of mind, I'm a servant of the kingdom of heaven. Too many Christians are putting their politics in front of their citizenship in heaven. They're identifying with the things of this earth too much and not backing up and saying, wait a minute, I just need to be the salt of the earth here. Take that which is above and inject it into the culture below. So what does a kingdom citizen look like? <clears throat> it's someone who verbally and visibly follows Christ and takes the concerns and principles of heaven and injects them into the culture of earth. Let me say that again. A servant of the kingdom is someone who verbally and visibly follows Christ, takes the concerns and principles of heaven and injects them in our culture. That's very action-based language. That's not something that you can do sitting on the couch doing nothing. It's not something you can do not talking about your faith at work. 
It's not something you can do not getting involved in the community, whether your community is just this church, just the city, you know, whatever influence you have, if you aren't advancing the principles of heaven, you aren't acting like a citizen of heaven. And I heard something this week as I was researching for this that really convicted me and I wanted to repeat it to you guys. The problem, the problem statement with the kingdom thought in the church today, too many Christians are too earthly minded to be heaven, any heavenly good. Too earthly minded to be heavenly good. So take stock of what are the things that are distracting you and taking you away. What are things that are taking over priority in your life that aren't kingdom first or kingdom serving down here on earth? It's a very challenging thing to do. And I'm not trying to like point fingers at anyone. I'm pointing all of us get sucked into this, right? There's so many distractions, so many things that draw our attention away. And I think with good intent, you, know, you have really good intentions behind that political view you have or whatever, make sure it's aligned with the kingdom first. When we're, I'm going to use a sports analogy, speaking to the culture that we have here in Manteca. Everyone loves sports. Even the ones that say sports ball, they actually do like it. I've met them. We've talked. Um, who has played sports in the room? High school, child, later, just as fun out volleyball. Every churchgoer plays volleyball, right, at some point in your life? No. Uh, when you're playing sports, there are times when you're going to be playing in someone else's home field, home court, home stadium, whatever. You're the away team, right? And that's kind of what it can feel like being a citizen of God. Again, I said we're not from here. You know, we're supposed to be aliens and foreigners, as Peter said. We're citizens of the kingdom. We're on the opposing team. It's a playing field right now. And I can remember um, I played high school football, and I remember... Um, I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, right near Portland, very urban. But one of the teams in our district was up in Kelso, Washington. Uh, are you familiar with what a redneck is? Big pickup trucks and, and lots of attitude. That town's full of them, and uh, they're mean. We went up there, and I remember parents yelling and cussing at us as just high school kids, throwing beer cans at us. I mean, it was that type of town. But, so, they, I mean, they were just against us. There was definite opposition. So I know what that feels like to say, like, okay, I'm getting it. There's, they don't want us here. They want us to lose. Um, and they're going to boo us and heckle us. And, and that's really what should be happening to us as Christians. If you're living a walk, you're going to find that opposition here. You're going to find those people that have nothing, want nothing to do with what you're saying. They're going to actively get in your face about it. Maybe they'll throw an empty beer can at you. I don't know or worse. But just to lay the land, like understand that we're on the opposing team's field and we're expected to win. We're not expected to sit on the sidelines. We have all sorts, like what does the opposing team look like? Also, we have consumerism, postmodern thought, all sorts of idolatry, etc. Those are the things that are opposing us, but God has called us to not sit on the sidelines, but to get involved. Um, Getting involved doesn't necessarily, I think, inspire people just to say, like, hey, get involved. You know, because, again, I'm that guy that says, well, what does that mean? How do I get involved? What is it? It sounds like a big, daunting thing. So, 
I think it's really important. There's three things that I'm going to kind of cover as to like, okay, so what? How do I get involved? I think number one is to understand your identity as a kingdom citizen. Understand that it's a 24-7 assignment. It's not something you get inspired on Sunday and then just sort of enjoy for a few hours as it fades and you start to think about work on Sunday night. You know what I mean? You can't keep switching channels like that. It's got to be with you all the time. Um, you can't be effective if you only try and um, do it one day a week. It's got to be what you live and breathe throughout all the time. Remember, a citizen looks like someone who verbally and physically follows Christ throughout their life. Um, I will also point out, too, that it's not very difficult. Let's look at James chapter 3. This kind of goes again hand-in-hand hand with sort of the upside-down kingdom thought. Like when we read the, uh, the armor of God, and you think, okay, now it's like, here we go. You know, William Wallace leading the charge. But no, it's like, pray. That sounds counterintuitive, I think, to our, our flesh, to our earthly minds. Oops, I'm too far. Chapter 3. Let's see. I'm going to read verses 13 to the end. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. From where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So it's not a violent act. You know, it says the, the kingdom is being forcefully advanced. It's not through... I'm going to go bludgeon you with verses until you're converted, or I'm going to like, scream at you about how you're going to hell and this is terrible, or I'm not going to show up at a city council meeting and like, flip tables over and say, judgment be upon you, or whatever. You, know, like, you can take this the wrong way. That's, that's definitely clearly stated here by James and say, no, 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 no. Wisdom from heaven, from the kingdom of heaven, looks peaceful. And so it's not, again, if you think in battle, your flesh will want to go fight. But that's not what it is. It's prayer and peace and good works. Uh, second thing, prayer. Just like I said in, in Ephesians, prayer, um, after you're suited up, you have to pray. And I'm going to date myself with my example here a little bit because I don't think a news chopper. Anybody know what a news chopper is? Good, I see head nods. If the kids are in the other room, so they probably, they don't know. I, th I don't even know if those still exist. I know the police ones do, because I see them over Modesto all the time. But the, uh, the news chopper used to be you'd be in the morning getting ready for work, and about every 10 to 15 minutes, the news would segue over to the traffic report. And the news chopper up high would be able to see what? Where the traffic jams were happening. And that information from above would come down to you, who can't see yet where the traffic is, and it would alter your path, right? That same analogy is why we need to plug in to the kingdom all the time is to take, because God can see so much more than us, infinitely more than us. You have to plug into him to get that direction in your life. You may 
blindly forget to do that and find yourself in a life, you know, using sort of a parable here, but you're going to be in a bit of a traffic jam if you don't catch his will first to find out the path for your life and how to navigate it. So that's number two, it's prayer. And number three is eat the elephant. That phrase is a common phrase when you're head, you've got some ominous, daunting, gigantic task ahead of you that you just don't know where to begin. Most people see that and they do nothing. That's called analysis paralysis, right? I am paralyzed to any action because I'm sitting there like, where do I start biting this elephant? You know, like, how do I eat it? One bite at a time. There's many ways that we can take this wisdom that James talks about and turn it into actions to advance the kingdom. You can serve here at the church. It's a very simple action. Welcome and open and welcome to it. I know that the children's ministry is always looking for more volunteers. Stephen shouldn't be the only person that mows our lawn. Thank you, sir. Um, there's lots of ways that you can have acts of service like that to advance the kingdom. You can volunteer at a nonprofit. We're familiar with Love, Inc. around here and all the good work that they're doing here in the community in Manteca. Go out and get involved with them. Get involved with your city council. Again, don't go in there picking a fight. Go in there with peace and the wisdom of heaven and be that good example, that reasonable salt to make this, this community better. And then uh, probably the easiest one is to talk to people about your faith. That's not something that I ever did well. And going back to a personal example here, I worked at FedEx for over 20 years. I can remember maybe once in my life actually sharing and talking about my faith or in that 22-year period. I've had like four opportunities in the six to seven months that I've worked at my current job because I'm, I'm growing. I'm learning how to, to bring it up subtly and gently and calmly. I'm not going, you're going to hell, you know, and then like turning into that guy. No, it's, it's you find relationship and commonality with people because we're all humans. We're all going through this. We all have different sins in our lives and things that we're dealing with. And then you just pepper in a little bit of Christian principles with that. And it's amazing how the door opens. I, I mentioned something about uh, Brianna, my daughter, working at a barista, as a barista at Crossroads, right? In Nord um, Nightingale Coffee up there. And then a week and a half went by, and one of my employees who overheard that randomly said, I remember how your daughter was doing that. I, I applied, actually, at a church in Turlock, and I want to be a barista in a church, too. She's not a Christian. That's been... She's not vehemently against it, but she's not. Um, but I just thought, wow, that's amazing. What a weird sideways conversation where just a little sprinkle of truth has come back to me again, and we got to talk about church because she was denied because she didn't go there. She wasn't religious, and so she had all these things like she has a nose ring. So she's like, I think I'm just out. <laughs> and so I was able to tell her, like, well, my church would let you come in. I'm like, Don't worry about it. In fact, this is where we go. So it's out there. Who knows where that conversation will go? But that's one of the easiest ways you can advance the kingdom is just by having those calm, casual conversations with people that you work with or interact with, go to school with, etc. So hopefully that helped take the giant elephant and take it down to a bite size. Hopefully one of those things that I mentioned is something you feel like you could do. Um, and then finally, uh, on those actions, actually I would say keep your... Uh, in sports, we had the term, keep your head on a swivel. Like, especially when I played defense, I had to keep my head on a swivel to see where the ball was going to go and go tackle that person, right? 
Well, I think if we as Christians prayerfully keep our head on a swivel to look for opportunities to serve the kingdom, he will be faithful and just to hand us those opportunities and they'll come across your way and your life will feel much more enriched and you'll start to build momentum with it and then you'll be encouraged to do more of those works that you've been predestined to do. Who knows what's on your plate? God does. So I encourage you to plug in with him to say, hey, how can I help? What can I do? Show me, lead me, present me with opportunities to advance your kingdom. Um, If you've heard this message today and you've been searching for meaning in your life, purpose in your life, you can't do this without Jesus. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, everything I've talked about today, unfortunately, is not applicable. Um, But if you would like to talk about that, meet up with me afterwards, meet up with someone else in here. I could point you in the right direction. If you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. Um, And we'll help you with that. Um, Oh, worship team can go ahead and come back on up. I've just got a couple more things I want to finish with. The nice thing about the kingdom is that Jesus offers his citizenship for free, right? Like that's the beauty of it. It's like we get that title, that right for nothing. His gift is free um, for all of us. And we have uh, emblems up here today for communion. And that's, that's our remembrance of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. The bread being a resemblance of his body, a remembrance of his body that was bruised and broken for us. The juice or wine would be uh, his blood that was spilled for us. And so I encourage you to search your heart as we're playing the last two worship songs to uh, come up and take communion. I want to go ahead and pray for that. Our God and Father, thank you so much for um, your instruction, for the... Um, the ability to seek out your kingdom, to perform works that aren't difficult, that uh, we know your, your yoke is light. And uh, I pray for everyone in here that we would be encouraged and inspired to go look for the next opportunity to advance the kingdom. We uh, now look to these um, emblems of communion now and, and thank you for the gift of your son, Lord Jesus, and Jesus, we thank you for taking up that cross, the ultimate work for the kingdom was accomplished there, where you laid up your life in complete humility for us, after living a life of perfect example for us. We thank you for this, and I pray this in your name, amen.